This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Mark Ganter. It was recorded at Little Water Distillery in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Little Water Distillery and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Mark Ganter. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn's here. And we're Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Now, this has been great because we've been working over the last couple of months to try to coordinate having you on the podcast. We'll talk about how COVID has impacted your business and just the overall workings of what you do day to day. But for the 1,000th and one, one time, can yep. we say that? 1,000 and one time? That's how I'd say it. How did all this get started? How did, distillery? How did Little Water Distillery, how did all this come to be? Little Water Distillery. Um, it started with what you can't see on the podcast, but this little five-gallon copper pot still right above the bathroom. That was, uh, that was a birthday present we gave to my father for his 70th birthday in January of 13. Now, had your dad ever distilled anything before? Was he making his, home, was he making his own beer? So, my father has basically done anything and everything, um, but I don't think he actually distilled directly. Um, he's from a part of Germany, south of Germany, um, an area called Baden-Württemberg, and it's well known for you know, distilling fruit schnapses. Uh, but, you know... Spirits in general are not very common. They're not very, you know, um, mainstream in, in Germany. Certainly not when he was there, when he lived there. Um, <clears throat> but it was something that kind of, like, we, we I think, dabbled in wine before. We cured meats. We just, anything you kind of create, we somehow got involved in it. He would always kind of take it, you know, ten times further than he would be taken. Um, he just retired, just kind of got rid of his sailboat, just decided, like, he wasn't going to pursue all these hobbies of his for a while and uh we're like let's let's get him a still that's it's, it's what anybody turning 70 it's it's that it's that thing on the list let's get him a still yep. let's check that one off the list and uh we got him a still and my brother and i you know found ourselves like incredibly fascinated with it and uh i think more so just loved hanging out with my father um and, and trying to convince one another that the other knew more about it than than, than the other two Neither of us had any experience whatsoever, but we just kind of did our own research, and we just kind of one-up each other while we made, like, the most disgusting things in the back. I was going to ask you, what were, what were the, some of the things you were distilling? Yeah, so primarily, you know, rum is, is, is one of the easiest things to do, like, on a smaller scale. 
Now, officially, and I know this is going to get through the podcast, we weren't distilling anything because that would be illegal. We all know. Of course. Yeah. You weren't distilling so we were anything. Making, we were making essential oils for the uh, essential oil business that we were going to we launch one day. Every once in a while, we'd That's why the you smell like eucalyptus. <laughs> we'd the recipe and rum might come out. But uh, we, we focused on rum um, and we, we some other things, some kind of corn-based spirits. But um, as we sort of kind of explored and, and, and researched more, we really found, like, a real interest in rum. Um, you know, it seems very practical because it's, it's one of the more simple things. You don't have to... You don't have to um, ferment grains, you know, or malt grains, you can simply go right from a fermentable sugar. But, you know, as we kind of dug deeper, we really, like, kind of became fascinated in, in the notion that, you know, rum is this forgotten, like, kind of core piece of Americana and American history. And, and rum is what, you know, this country was fueled on for, for years and years and years and years. Um, and, you know, from circumstances that actually kind of um, led to the revolution and led to independence... You know, the, the industry was decimated. You know, uh, molasses trade was cut off. We had no, um, you know, sugar production, you know, in, in, in the continental uh, U.S. or continental Yeah, America. so if you were, if you were a rum producer, you, you had no raw product. You had nothing, there was nothing. To, nothing to ferment, right? So, um, and that, that's uh, that background noise is our boiler kicking yeah. in. Yeah, I mean, the beautiful the thing about this is we're at a distillery. We and, are, yeah. and you're a working distillery, and as you point out, Today you're distilling rum, mm-hmm. so it kind of ties in with that. But it's, you found it pretty easy, or you, not easy, but you, 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 you gravitated towards distilling rum first. Yeah, we, 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 really, we really were piqued by the story, the notion of, of rum being kind of, you know, this foundational spirit in American history, you know, American drinking history, and, and culturally as well, and, and completely erased. I mean, if you walk up to anyone on the street... And ask them where rum's from, or you know where, where rum traditions are, or where where you know quality rum came from or comes from. It, America would never be in the top ten answers. I think right? the Caribbean, correct. right? They're yeah. thinking you know that the islands is very much correct. It's very much correct. I mean, rum was produced there before it was produced in the Americas, but um, you know a tradition, a very strong and well, great tradition, you know, emerged in America, and, and after the molasses trade was cut off, um, and with the influence of the Scots. We, we converted from uh, from rum to whiskey. And, you know, the same type of equipment that's used to make rum can easily be converted to making whiskey. We can do it here in our still, in our distillery. Um, so, anyway, we kind of really became piqued by that, and we really started to explore the idea of um, of what a rum distillery would look like and if it's something we would ever want to do professionally and would even want to go into business together professionally. And the answer was, I don't know, but let's keep researching it. You know, and so, like, next thing you knew... Um, we, we'd written a business plan and we're submitting it to banks and, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, well, bank says yes. And we're like, oh, shoot. Now, we're, now uh, they, we, we're getting money. We should do something sure, with this. We, I guess we're going to kind of do this now. And, and we're looking for real estate and all these things without ever saying yes, we're doing it. We just kept going through the motions of opening a business without ever really committing to opening a business. Um, and then we just sort of made the decision like, yep, this is real. This is something we're going to do. And, and um, you know, fast forward to, let's see, March of, well, I guess we, we started building out in the summer of 16. Um, and we finally got our, uh, our, our federal and state permits to operate in November of 16. We released our first product, Whitecap Whiskey, in late November of 16. And we ran open to the public for tours and tastings in March of 17. 
So we just passed your three-year anniversary. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. we're a couple yeah, months yeah. past there, but yeah. March of 17 is when COVID really kind of kicked in and a little funny, bit. it's funny, so I'm going to stop you there. You know, it, like, I hear that a lot, our, our three-year anniversary party of opening to the public. But, you know, for me and for this business and for, the, you know, our operational model, our anniversary was really November of 2016. Okay. You know, we, we, that's when you got your, you started being able to build out on this. That's and, when we and, became and a distillery. distillery. Yeah. No, that's when we were an operating distillery. That's when we were taking products to market. And that's what we do as a business. Um, we obviously love the notion of tours and tastings, which for us is, is it's a very, very secondary revenue stream. Um, it's something that serves a sole purpose for me and for this business. It's for brand development. It's so people can come in and learn about the business, learn about you know its history, learn about the process, but most importantly, learn about the products and the brands behind those. I products. know that's important to you that you, you you really highlight the education side. I know our first visit here when Dawn and I came, you know, we walked in the door. It was a late Saturday, um, and I think at that time you had a good amount of people at the bar here. Yeah, and. You know, we, we didn't expect you, it was you that we met, to take the time to go through the whole distillation process and the history of your distillery, which for us made us feel like, wow, I mean, he, he really wants to educate. You really are passionate about educating people about distillation and, and how what goes into their glass or what goes into your bottle gets made. I mean, it's, it, it's for a number of reasons. It's a, it's a business imperative, all right? So... You know, you, you, you get a few table scraps from a bank to start a business. You, you you go into business, you realize, wow, we were so, so unaware of the capital needs of starting a company. You know, uh, like all the things that go into it, all the unknown unknowns that emerge, you know, after like you, you, you open the doors. And, you know, you realize that um, I don't have a million dollar marketing budget. I don't have the means to compete um, at the level of market presence with what are truly the competitors to our product. Like everyone's like, are you worried about like this distillery or that distillery? I'm like, uh, you'll answer the question for me. When you go out tonight and you order a cocktail, assuming you order a cocktail out, what are you asking for? And the answer is going to be a very familiar, national, nationally recognized brand. That's the competition. I, like, I, I wish there were three times as many of me in the state. I wish there were some critical mass emerging in New Jersey that established some distilling tradition that compelled people to seek out New Jersey, just as you'd seek out the California cat or a Burgundy Pinot Noir. You, that's a, you know, I love that you made that point, and that's a phenomenal point. But I think, in my opinion, my perspective, that somebody may go out and ask and order a cocktail. Mm -hmm. Now, either on the menu, it's pre-designed to tell you what that spirit is and who the brand is. Well, or, that's not coincidental. That's no, not no, coincidental. Because, no, I get it. Yeah. Or, or what they're doing is somebody may not necessarily ask for a preference. I'll just give me a Cosmopolitan, give yep. me a Martini. I trust your judgment on what you pull from behind the rail and make it with. Right. But I do think there is a little bit of a critical mass that you talk about that is starting to build but I think it's also a point that, look, I know that when we go out, the first thing that we want to know when we used to be able to go out and have a cocktail at the bar, but we'll ask what local craft spirits do you have? What are you making? What, what do you have local? Right. 
it becomes a sense of ownership for us to want to promote and build those brands and make sure that the bar or the restaurant is stocking those. And I think that's the other part. When you talk about branding your distillery and why it's important for people to understand the history and, you know, your dad's still and everything that you're doing, it's also saying to them, hey, you know what? When you're out here today or you're out here tonight at, at a bar in Atlantic City, ask them if they're carrying anything by little water. I'd love to have – you're not? Well, yeah. we just had their vodka, and I really would have liked their vodka. We just had their rum, and I would have loved to have I, – I, I had that cocktail, and because of that rum – it, yeah. it really, and I'm and I'm craving it again because we should have gotten a bottle, but we didn't. But what I'm saying is, you have you have the opportunity to help instill that. Hey, when you go out, ask at the bar, ask what they have. And, and it's um, if, if you if you indulge me, let's explore this a little bit because it really uh, it's one of the unknown unknowns of you know the craft distilling industry, frankly, the craft beverage industry. And and you're you're an outlier, um, you know, a, a good one, an, an essential one to the growth of our business and our industry, but. The vast majority of consumers are not like you, and they don't operate like that. They don't act like that. And even if they did, so, so even if there were, you know, three times as many of you, you would be going to that server who's asking what your rest, what you'd like, and saying, "Do you have a, do you have a forty-eight blocks vodka cocktail on the menu I could have?" And they'd say, "Uh, I don't think so. I'll check." The answer is no. You're absolutely right. So now, so now, and so, so now. Right. So now you, you, you've planted that, that inquiry into that server's mind that has absolutely zero control over whether or not that product ever makes it. And even if it gets back to the bar manager, it, you know, the answer's like, nope. And, and it's forgotten again because it's a busy Saturday right. night. And, and let's face it, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It's a Saturday night. 48 what? I got, I got yeah. other tables, man. Yeah. What do you want in your drinks, exactly, right? Exactly. That's what they're thinking. So, so... Kind of getting back to, to why the education is so important to, to, to us and to me um, is because how how is it that well, let's just pick a brand of vodka that starts with a T and ends with an S or whatever, right? Just randomly selecting something off the list. Uh, how did that become the cocktail or that, the spirit that's being reached for that cocktail? There, there's a there's a marketing war chest that has to overcome you know lack of consumer preference and has to basically get in front of the person who's making the decision to put that behind the bar and that's done through you know a, a lot of different things some of it's hand-to-hand combat some of it's just being present with salespeople you know all the time so that it doesn't matter what you want you eventually understand through repetition what you want because familiarity wins the day um Marketing impressions are made, you know, in this industry in a number of different ways, but most traditionally through posters, billboards, you know, ads, um, you know, placement in promotional areas, um, and, and, and those things are very expensive to do, and they require enormous repetition to achieve critical mass, right? How many, how many billboards do you have to drive past before you say, that's my brand? A ton. Those billboards aren't cheap. So how do we how do we how do we compete at a level that will create an impression that that will hopefully last and build without that marketing budget war chest without having you know the ability to put up fifty billboards in and around Atlantic County or any other market? Look, here, here's what I would say to that because you, you look 
I mean, we're talking today in a world of electronic media, I, I, social I got, media. I got the answer, by the way. All right, so Keep there. Going. So I'm, I'm setting up the, here. I'm teeing up your answer. I mean, it's it's about you talk about critical mass. It's about how people are sharing that and how people it, it, look. The best gift you can give to me on the podcast is referring me to another brewery, cidery, meadery, winery, distillery, sure. and saying, "Listen, we had a good time. We enjoyed our conversation." You guys should sit down, sit down with Fermented Adventure and Dawn, and 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 that's what happens. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. So, so it's 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 that word of mouth too, right? So, what were what was the what was the solution for you? It's establishing an emotional connection in the consumer, right? Because billboard impressions occur, but they don't necessarily last unless they're repeated and repeated and repeated. You know, eventually that'll lead to that bottle being seen at the bar behind the bar. On cocktail menus, again, not coincidental, people often have to buy their way into that position um, by various means, some you know above or some below. But either way, it happens. But, but that's why, kind of getting back to why the tasting room experience, the tour experience is so critical for us. Because when you know why this business started, when you remember that Mark's dad received that five-gallon copper pot still sitting above the bathroom... It, and, and it was the inspiration to take the risk, you know, at, at a, a, you know, a, a very strange time in one's life to launch a business, you know, midlife, um, that it hopefully has a better chance of creating that emotional connection, which sticks around a lot longer than immediate impression. Um, and it didn't cost anything other than my time and our effort. So, in a perfect world, Every person that bellies up to this bar is a new person. And everyone, before they do, has the benefit of a tour with either myself or any of our staff or anyone that's, that's giving the tour at the time and, and kind of has the opportunity to kind of get that emotional connection. And we all know what it's like. I mean, there, there, there are a thousand different vodkas you can choose from. And 95% of them are homogenous. 95%, like there probably isn't the best one in the world. There's the one that has the best experience for you that's going to last. It could be, look, let's face it. We're talking about branding, marketing, and all those things. It could be the label. It could be the bottle size, the shape, the color. It, whatever the I mean, that, let's that's, face it. That's the impression. That's your, the impression. Your palate's different. My palate's different. Right. Dawn's palate's different. You may like a sweeter. I mean, we just had this conversation um, with Jersey Spirits, and I've had this conversation with other distillers. And some have the, uh, let's just talk vodka. Vodka should be odorless, tasteless, and basically a nice base for a cocktail. And I appreciate that thought. But I also know that as we go out and visit more of the craft distilling, small batch distilling, listen, you can make a vodka with rye. You can make a vodka with corn. You can make a vodka with potatoes, sugar beets, sweet potatoes. Yep. It's, but, but there's a flavor there. There's, oh, yeah. there's, there is a nose there that I think that when you make a cocktail – Using your, in this case, vodka, it's going to lend to the flavor profile of that, 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 that cocktail. That's the hope. That's what we try and design cocktails around. And that's what we try and encourage, um, you know, our, our, our on-premise partners, either bars and restaurants, to also kind of like aspire to. Um, but getting back to that, that you know, the, the, the bottle, the shape, the size, the, the labeling, everything. The emotional connection, I think, is what, what keeps you going back for it. And I, I my, my... my my interest in my love before this was always wine. And you know, I've tasted wines, I've, I've been to wineries, and I was almost going to kind of pursue it professionally for a number of different years. 
But um, you know, I, I remember having some really, really, really incredible, incredible wine experiences. Um, that you know, I would never forget the wine. I'll never forget the you know the, the styles. But I also know that it had everything to do with the environment in which I enjoyed it, and which was presented to me. I mean, you could have, uh, you know, on a shitty night after work, a glass of exceptional wine, and, and finish that whole bottle and forget about it and want to forget about it the next morning. But, it, but if, if you had a glass of that wine on the evening that you proposed to the love of your life, you would never forget that wine. That's always the never, wine. That's your go-to wine. You would never forget the right. impression, man. You would never forget how enjoy, the endorphins that were released at the experience of that product. Just render that unforgettable and, and create that emotional connection to the product that we would all love to achieve with, with all our brains. So the stories are entertaining and I think they kind of, you know, they, 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 in, in the world of beverage tourism, they're essential. People want to understand more about the product and where it came from and why. And, and you know, we want to fill that need, but we also, it's very self-serving. We want that story to create an emotional connection between the consumer and our product that will last longer than the media impression. And we'll follow up with media impressions later on so you don't forget and kind of and, and go back to that emotional experience. But, but the emotional connection is always going to be paramount to the growth of our business. So the connection also is Little Water Distillery. How did the name Little Water Distillery come about in Atlantic City? Yeah, so like uh, I can show you the list. Like all 17 pages of like potential names that we came up with that were socialized amongst our family, our friends, us, blah, 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 blah. and it was my brother. And I, I, I need to step back a second. This business was founded with my brother Eric, um, and he was very much a creative driver behind a lot of this. Uh, in, in doing some research for you know Atlantic Sea, when we knew that you know we had like months and months of waiting on permits and and real estate and everything else, we just took the opportunity to explore a lot of the history of this area that we were both, uh, he was from Venner, which is relatively close, I had no connection with Atlantic City, no, no understanding of the history of it, any of the traditions behind it, anything other than they had casinos and an ocean. Um, and he'd done some, just... You know, there around. is a boardwalk, too, There's a boardwalk. <laughs> Occasionally, when, when I'm feeling guilty, I run on it. But uh, he, uh, he, he saw like a, a little kind of call out on the Atlantic City website about Absecan Island and you know that Absecan is the Lenape kind of word for little water or low water and this was you know a barrier island that um, you know was traversed by the Lenape and were you know the Native Americans from the area and they would have to cross through these low-lying kind of you know estuaries and very swampy areas between Absecan Island and the mainland and they just referred to Absecan Island or they referred to this island as Absecan or, or little water or low water to get to the ocean and we just appropriated that that name and that history for, for our company so there is a connection to the topography oh yeah, yeah. to to where this is yeah. now you touched on it Atlantic City means only a couple of things but why a distillery for you in Atlantic City when you know your brother Eric's from Ventnor and yeah. you're from Cumberland County oh, well, how did the, how did this location well, I was come actually about? in DC I mean I was we were both born in Cumberland County but I lived in DC for 20 like the last 26 years um, we, uh, we we thought that for a direct distribution model, its proximity to the parkway, north and south, you know, the density of bars and restaurants between, say, Cape May and LBI, um, it was the ideal place to launch a business that already had 
some baked in traffic. We had we, we had no we made no assumptions about the strength of the actual market in Atlantic City or immediately around Atlantic City. It was really um, part of it was you know, the belief that we could we could land affordable real estate on the island versus off the island in some kind of industrial park. And if we were going to like you know throw ourselves into this and, and, and spend you know. Uh, you know, 50, 60, 80 plus hours a week at this business, we damn well better be up by the beach. You know, we, we better at least have the beach. Eric was an avid surfer, and yeah, we, we both kind of love the water. So, if nothing else, we had, you know, we'd have an ocean within a few blocks of us if we ever needed to use it. And uh, how much use have you gotten out of the ocean since you got here? You know what? Uh, I finally pulled the kayak down off the racks this okay. summer, <laughs> and I, I've been out quite a bit. And, uh, not as much as I should have, but a lot more than the last three years. I will okay. say that. I will say that. So it's been a good summer in that regard. Um, so, yeah, so Atlantic City, you know, um, we thought would just be geographically ideal for doing this and, you know, perceived availability of affordable, you know, cool real estate. It turns out when we, when we launched that first product, White Cap Whiskey, in uh, December of 17, we sold... I think it was 1,700 bottles, 1,700 bottles between December 7th and December 28th of a brand that had absolutely zero marketing to it, nothing. Nobody knew about it. labeled. There were a couple, you know, like kind of articles in in the press and, uh, you know, a, a little... Route 40 Press did a, they, they were kind of an online uh, kind of news outlet. They wrote a little story about it. The press picked it up and they wrote something about it. But like, it, it became instantly apparent to us that there was some really, really like, kind of strong pent up desire to have something like this emerge in Atlantic City. There just isn't an offering like that. Um, have we ever replicated that product launch again? No, not in a million years. I wouldn't know how to do that again. But it was just, it, it was mind-blowing to me that there was such a strong kind of desire to see some, irrespective of the quality, irrespective of the product. Obviously, whiskey kind of, you know, wins the day back then and certainly still now. But um, the, the, the fact that, and again, very little history to Atlantic City. We didn't know who did what or, or what or what. But the fact that someone was willing to take a risk on Atlantic City at that time and watch this just spoke volumes. It was almost like this like beacon of hope, um, which I've learned through, through this communication and, and talking to people about it. You know, the last manufacturing business, with the exception of James Candy that had declared Chapter 11 about six months afterwards, was Ginsburg Bakery. They left to go to Camden right before we opened. We were truly the, the only manufacturing business that had a market outside of Atlantic City, um, in Atlantic City. What does that feel like for you? I mean, knowing how important and the significance of what you mean to Atlantic City. I, I, well, first of all, it, it felt incredibly naive to not <laughs> really know anything about that or understand that. Um, but it's, it's, it's incredibly inspiring because, uh, you know, like, we could have done this in D.C. I don't think I could have convinced Eric to move down there for some reason. But, you know... Uh, things like this are flashes in the pan. You know, like, you have to fight, like, you have a hundred times the market, and you have to fight a thousand times as hard to, to, to stay relevant and, and kind of keep them afloat and build brand awareness and be, like, 
as fresh the day after you started as you were the day you started because if you're not you're nothing um, you make it you know that's significant to what you say because to keep this up now for the number of years that you have how, how what continues what mark what, what keeps you energized what, uh, what gets you up and, and moving to talk about little water distillery and and to yeah, promote the brand as you talk about it's, it's a really great question because um, I, I, I struggle with that. I really do. Um, because you know, everything has been this like tumultuous trajectory. And, um, you know, you're, like half the battle is just keeping a business open, which is a huge battle. It's not easy, you know, running a business from nothing, you know, and, and, and just keeping it, keeping it moving forward. Just everything from, you know, staff, accounting, marketing, budget, just keeping the lights on has been, you know, in the early days, a complete struggle. And, and that takes you away from where you really want to be, which is kind of product development, brand development, sales and marketing, and, and trying to get to that, um, that level of awareness, of product awareness, that, you know, these larger producers have paid dearly to achieve, right? I think people have this perception when they walk in the door or see your bottle on the shelf that because of, I guess, the existence of these larger, more publicized brands, they have no idea that day-to-day struggle or the day-to-day existence that you have as a craft distiller, as a a small batch distiller, and, and what you have to go through. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, to get back to the last question, I, I think what like what, what definitely keeps me juiced up and motivated is just the knowledge that we haven't achieved anything yet that, that I've aspired to. You know, we 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 I think built a product line around quality and value, which was always kind of the core of the, of the, of the product message. You know, this is an accessible product of the utmost quality. And a very accessible price. And that that's always be. been important to you because you, you echo that. We talked about that. Oh, it yeah. has to be accessible in terms of the, the price, but the quality and the value has to be there too. A hundred percent. Otherwise, it's just a novelty. I mean, you can, go to, you can go to many, many places around the country and buy a $45 bottle of spirit um, with, you know... Possibly you know, exceptional quality, and, and, and possibly not. It depends on what you're what you're seeking for, and what you're looking for, and what what you know what you define as quality in that regard or value, in fact. But um, you know, it, you, we always have to. We always with every one of these products, we always have to be aware of, of the alternative. If if I'm if I'm if I'm not spending if I'm spending twenty seven dollars or thirty dollars on this, what could I get? For those three dollars elsewhere, and is are these products measuring up to that? You know, is is the is the alternative, the opportunity, you know, elsewhere of equal or better value? And if so, then then, then we we got to figure out some differentiator, or we have to bring our prices in line. Because at the end of the day, to achieve that that you know that that critical mass where we're not we're close to of you know, product penetration, cost cannot be. The deciding factor, right? If if you have to say, oh, I can't afford that today, or oh, I don't deserve that today, or oh, I, I don't want to spend that much, then, then we've already lost because we're not in that game. We're not in the luxury spirits line. We're not in the super 
the, the industry has so many ridiculous terms like ultra premium, super premium, like ultra premium vodka. What the hell is that? <laughs> what what is ultra premium vodka? Because last time I checked, vodka is pretty much vodka. You know, there there, there are varying degrees of quality, but there are not like there are not like miles of distance between the worst and the best. They took a piece of the Arctic cap yeah. and they flew it down on a helicopter under... That vodka exists. And, and, and they... No, that vodka That's exists. what I'm saying. I guess when you start to say vodka is vodka, what makes it... I guess is the amount of money or whatever you want to put into oh, to make the spirit, right? What, what, what differentiates it? Well, of course the story... It's the marketing and branding. Vodka is a heavily branded product. Um, you know, and I, I was I was present for the launch of uh, Crystal Head Vodka. I worked for a company that was actually kind of rolling that product out, and you know, got to sit with Dan Aykroyd and, and just hear about the story and the Herkimer Diamonds, and it was it was great. It was a really great story, um, and, and, and you know, the, the magnificent packaging that went into it, and the artists that designed that, just second to none. And there's the vodka inside, right? So it, I, as, as, a, as a business owner and a, kind of a brand steward, am always trying to be very cognizant of that, of that value proposition, that price-quality ratio, um, and, and try to figure out how can we, how can we achieve like, you know, maximum quality in our products? And quality is defined many different ways. So for me, part of that quality is being slightly unique in each category. Like every one of our products is, is slightly unique in its, in its category. And I think that in itself is, is a measure of quality because it adds to the interest of that product. Um, you know, quality can be subjective or objective. You know, ideally, there's some objective measurement of quality that, that you know, consumers can sort of um, rally around and, and use as a, as, a, as a yardstick or a guide to kind of like navigate through the sea of spirits. Um, and it's hard to do, but I think that the, the consumer preference that I'm seeing in the spirits market is really trending towards kind of a unique offering. Something different. So all right, so, so, where do you want to start with your spirits? Because yeah. you brought out a few. Let's talk about the, the distinct, unique um, way that you're doing something or what you have. Which one should we start Let's with start first? start with the Alpha. Well, all right. And the Alpha for us is Liberty Rum. Liberty Even Rum. Even though Whitecap is a product that we collaborated on and rolled out first, it was never part of the business plan. That said, it's our largest, you know, our fat, well, our fastest growing product by far is Rusty Revolver Gin. Whitecap Whiskey has always had some of the strongest brand recognition for us, but the core of the business model was always rum. Okay, let's right, try so your rum, let's and let's introduce you. that to everybody else. Let's let's taste it, let's smell it, let's do all these great things we can do. Liberty and Prosperity Rums. Liberty is what we're distilling today, but for all intents and purposes, we're also distilling prosperity. Because Liberty becomes prosperity. Liberty becomes prosperity. So Liberty Rum um, and Liberty and Prosperity happen to be the Jersey State motto. It was a subtle. Oh, I nod. love that. Yeah, it was a subtle nod to our, our you know, our, our home state now. You know, where we're where we're launching this company, this brand, um, without being too overt. You know, without sort of. You know, Jersey's Jersey. In in some parts of the country, it's the laughing stock of the country. Now, nah, who, it, where? I don't know. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't. I don't visit those places. They're dead. They're dead. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a badge of honor for us, and it's a point of pride for us because this is where we're from. This is where we were born. And this is where this is where we, we, we were taking the risk. This is where we're, we're you know we're laying down our story, 
And um, now I have to go back to the New Jersey motto to find out what other words might be in there. I'm, I'm not familiar oh, with the motto. Liberty it's, and prosperity. That's it. Because flag, it's not dangling here, but I can unfold it for you later on. And okay. There, uh, uh, I, I forget the names of the two women adorning the flag, but one is holding you know, the banner of liberty and the other is holding the banner of prosperity. So liberty is our silver rum. Okay, it's distilled from molasses. Uh, it's a proprietary molasses that comes from the three sugar-producing states in the contiguous U.S., so Florida, South Carolina, and Louisiana. Like, like <laughs> for better or for worse, like many things we do here, it's probably the most expensive molasses that you can acquire, and it's by far the most expensive raw material in our process here. Um, it's delicious. And it goes just as well on pancakes as it does, you know, in making our rum. But it is delicious. And what's one of my favorite parts of the tasting is when I let people try the molasses on a toothpick. Um, because Which we did, I oh, remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, because if you've had molasses before, you probably bought it in a grocery store, and it was probably, like, in the, in the, the aisle with the other baking goods. And it was probably disgusting. Molasses generally is. The stuff that ends up in bottles and grocery stores is, you know, the, 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 the dregs. You know, people ask if it's blackstrap. I'm like, absolutely not. Blackstrap is appalling to me. It really isn't a tasty, you know, um, uh, style of molasses. But it, it serves its purpose, and it is fermentable, and it does produce a product, and some people can do wonderful things with it. It's just not the style that we wanted to produce. We wanted to produce a colonial-style rum, again, made entirely from molasses, like it was done in, in America before the Revolution. But... I love um, the fact, look, one of the things that resonates for me, Mark, is your sense of history and, and your connection to the history, not only of where you are now, as you talked about the Lenape Indians and, and the Little Water name and things like that, um, the sense of history of Atlantic City, and then you go, and one of the things, you talked about branding, right? Uh -huh. Liberty and prosperity are the bigger words on your bottle yep. than rum is, and I think if I'm gonna, if I get to know you and I understand you better, that was planned. It wasn't an accident that they're that they're that the words are the prominent. And and again, you want somebody to go in and either they're looking on the shelf if they're they're going to their local liquor store. You want them to look for liberty and prosperity. Yeah. Over hey, I, I'm just looking for rum. And if it's sitting behind the bar, I'm going to see liberty and prosperity versus rum. We we, we were we we had a lot of time to indulge the kind of design and packaging of liberty and prosperity. Um, because we weren't open yet. We, these, these concepts, these label concepts were, were done before we even knew that we were going to be in Atlantic City. Um, and they were largely the design of, of Eric. Eric put a ton of thought and design and kind of stewardship of these brands and, and, you know, into them. And uh, it, it's funny, too, like when we do these tours, when we do these kind of this educational experience, um, you know, I'd say 95% of the people that are asked have no idea where the names come from, that Liberty and Prosperity, you know, are, are the Jersey State Mom. No, you got me. I didn't know. And, and, and now you do. Yep. And now you've made that connection back to the brand. And, and, and now you're probably not going to, you may, but you got a better chance of not forgetting Liberty and Prosperity than if I hadn't pointed that out. So it's, it's, it's these little these little kind of nuances to the product and the brand are, are, are critical in, in kind of creating that impression, that, that hopefully less than forgettable impression, um, and then eventually leading to the emotional connection to the brand. Because now we're going to taste it. Because the stories are great, right? They, they, they give you something to kind of like, 
associate the brand and the products with. But if they're not met with, with quality and an experience, then, you know, you're probably not going to remember it or, or not remember it fondly. Um, so again, the, the goal was to create a really elegant, differentiated silver rum that is steeped in history, but is designed for a contemporary power. And that's what Liberty is. I, I feel like we've achieved that. Um, so you're going to get certainly the molasses on the nose, some of those kind of like those, those a little bit of that sugar cookie, you know, kind of like flavor nuance. You're also going to get some honeysuckle, which, you know, a lot of that emerges from, you know, the, the yeast we use, the... Yeah, pour yourself some too. Sure, I'll have some. Yeah, why not? It's a work day. It is a work day. <laughs> this is how you work every day. That, it, it's exactly what we do. It's so funny. I was like, oh, it must be great. Well, yeah. If I did this every day, I wouldn't get too far. I've always, I, I continue to say this. One of the things I love is your perspective, and I'm sure between you and Eric, what you designed as far as what you wanted to, your perspective of the flavor, the nose, I really appreciate you sharing that honeysuckle nose to it because it would have been something to me that it, had you not mentioned it, I wouldn't have gone to look for it. Yep. When I find it, it becomes even more of a memorable, memorable experience. So, I mean, I grew up in Jersey. There's a point in time where the honeysuckles bloom. Oh, yeah. And it's a yeah. great time to, you know, get all that aroma. But now I have the connection with that. And, you know, um, I, I, I owned and run this company for two years before James Stanchard, the distiller who you met earlier. And yes. He's working hard at the still right now. Um, pointed that out. I never found the honeysuckle until he pointed it out. And uh, now I can't avoid it. You know, it's, it's, it's very present. Um, and it's funny too because um, you know perception is reality, and, and it's very very easy to influence the perception of someone. You know, trying spirits like this for the first time. If you don't mention it, it doesn't exist, and if you do, it automatically exists. You're you're it's it's, it's um what what do they call that? It's nasal factor. Uh, yeah, yeah nasal I mean scousal. whatever. It, it, you you associate it. You mention it, oh, and yeah. now it becomes something I'm looking for. I can actually smell that now, and I have that connection. Now, if, if I didn't, I'd be like, I, I don't smell it. Maybe there are other things yeah. I do smell in there. No, um, it, 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 like I, have, I have a terrible palate and even worse nose. So it, it really it really helps you know, for me to have someone kind of experience things. And there are super tasters out there. A, a buddy of mine is a super taster. And like, like, like what is that? It's, it's a guy that smells things or a person that smells things like from like feet away that you wouldn't even like know if it was smeared on top of you. And like, <laughs> we'll just be in these different situations. He's like, he's, he's appalled or he's put off by something. I'm like, what are you talking about? He gets it. And, you know, like, I unfortunately don't have that. You know, better or worse, I don't have that ability. Um, and, you know, it helps to have kind of people that can pull that out around you. You know, look, we always want to surround ourselves, especially in business, with people that are smarter and more capable than ourselves. Right? Otherwise, we're not, we're not getting anywhere, which is we're, we're only as fast as we can move ourselves and push ourselves. We can fall down fast. So, um, it's. I mean, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I get sour patch kids. Do I, you I really? I, I do, and okay. I don't know where that's coming from, but again. Dirty glass. <laughs> no, but it's, it's something that else comes up like that, or I'm thinking of those worms. That, that have oh, that, yeah, 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 that, yeah. that have that Swedish fish, but actually worms. That kind of land I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, but 
again, it, it, it could be it could be like a gummy bear experience, but it's that it's that sweet, um, soury, chewy on the nose anyway. Yeah. But this is this is very smooth. It's very. I, I can say one of the things that stands out for me is sometimes we'll drink rums and they don't taste like rums. Mm-hmm. They taste like. Um, tequila sometimes, or they'll taste just like a neutral grain That's spirit. Funny you say that. But this tastes like a rum. This tastes like a rum that I want to drink. So now here's what's funny about that. Again, like perception is reality, right? And um, if I had a nickel, well, I'll use that phrase twice. If I had a nickel for everyone that came here and asked for a bottle of rum, I'd have a nickel, right? <laughs> when we do, when we do taste rums, if I had a nickel for everyone whose first impression was tequila. We'd be doing just fine right now. We really would. It, it is everyone's universal first impression is tequila. Yeah, you know, that's why I'm, I'm usually steering them away from that flavor profile. But boom. But this, I, this, I don't get this. I don't get tequila it's, on it, your rum. Funny. I don't get it. I, I think you know. I think that roasted agave and the strain of molasses used, and you know, the, the yeast strain that we chose, somehow kind of it, it, it emulates that roasted. Because you know, agave sugar source it's kind of roasted agave so you just talked about something so there is agave in your rum no no okay I just didn't want to misunderstand no, no, no. that uh, the, 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 what you're the, saying is the molasses the way tequila's made and the way our rum's made somehow um, our, our rum sort of harkens some of those flavors from tequila I, I don't know I don't I don't really find it myself I don't but, but so many people I have to, I have to trust that like like 90% of the people that try this rum for the first time say tequila that, that it's got to be real. Right, I know, it's, it's, it's strange, but I can't deny it. To the point where we actually, we, we, we developed cocktails, you know, almost tequila-based style, tequila-style cocktails around our rum, and they're delicious, they're magnificent. You know, this makes a really, really great, um, like a margarita-style cocktail. Um, but it also makes really great rum cocktails. It is a, a, um, a classic daiquiri, which is simply simple syrup, lime juice, and Liberty rum is, is like... It, it's transformative for me. It's just one of the best expressions of Liberty Rum in a cocktail. Why? Because that's a rum-forward cocktail. You know, it, it's a, it, it's, it plays on the strength of the rum and not on the sweetness of a juice or the, the, the tropicalness of the pineapple or whatever it is. It, 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 it lets the rum do its thing. And there's so little mixology that allows the rum to do its thing because there's not a lot of great rum out there. And, and there, I should say that. There's exceptional rum out there. There's exceptional rum. Rum that we couldn't even talk to. <laughs> so, rum that wouldn't even answer the door. We knocked. It's right. so good. Unfortunately, it doesn't get used that often in, in commonplace mythology. You know, rum is just an alcohol that's that's being hidden by by juices and other, other fruity flavors and other sweetness. And rum is just a backbone. Well, that's just, again, that's why that's where your place as a craft producer, it's it's very different. Than trying to create something that's a cocktail mixer. That's okay. hey, yeah. we need to add alcohol to this. We'll call it rum. Yeah. We'll distill it like rum, but we know you're going to throw all kinds of sweety, sugary things on top of that. What I can say for this, this is 80 proof, so it's not a lot of ethanol to it, which I think is why for me it doesn't give me that tequila experience. Right, and which it's is also nice 80 proof. Right, tequila is also. But, but it seems like tequila to me is more um, ethanol forward in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I agree. And I and I don't get like I can I can experience the molasses. Yeah. I can experience that detail of saying we're going to use this molasses because this is the flavor profile that we're going to get. This is the experience we're going to get from this. 
I, I will say, um, and this this is you know, ten percent credit goes to the, the quality of the ingredients used, and ninety percent goes to James Stanchard Distiller. The the, the 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 smoothness, the silkiness of this rum, and the fact that it, it's it's incredibly simple because it has so little heat at eighty proof. And it also depends on where you break up the heads and tails and oh, yeah, the hearts that, and everything that's, else. That's, that's, and that's that's, that's his skill. That's his skill right there. That's, that's yep. right. That's when when to turn it off and when to turn it on. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so it's an economic decision and and, and one that you know um, you can you can you can include as much in there as you want to, to maximize your alcohol yield per yep. run. Um, and you know once it's in, once that once that little bit of like nasty tail is in the pot or in, in the take. It doesn't come back out. You can't get it out. So once you compromise, there's no going back. So you have to make that economic decision, like, how much am I willing to sacrifice in terms of yield? You know, how, how far can I strain the economics of this product to ensure that it's of the utmost quality that we can produce at and still be able to sell it at a price that makes it accessible to the average but consumer. The, but, but, Who doesn't want rum in the first place? But, but from what I know, from what I know about our interactions, Mark, it's not about the economics. You want to make money, but it's about the quality oh, no. and the value of the spirit. So, so that, that's 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 the, the beautiful soundbite of, of a, a craft producer. Right. And then there's the reality of a business owner. It has to be about both. It has to be about both. So you can't just ignore one and hope to produce and have the other. You have to you have to honor, respect, and manage the both, right? So if you're not going to maximize your yield, then you've got to figure out how to make your your process efficient to the point where it is still profitable to do it the way you want to do it and at that at that apex of quality. And, and, and that's one of the things that gets me up in the morning and gets me inspired to keep building and working on this business because we're clear like. We're doing it. It's working, but we can always do it better. It, we, we can always squeeze more quality out of this, but we can probably squeeze more efficiency and profitability out of it, too, without raising the price. Well, you could always change your volume. You could always go yeah. with a larger still, bigger production. I mean, but... Hopefully, hopefully, and hopefully in that larger still, we can still maintain that same quality. I mean, you, you started on a five-gallon yeah. still there. No, we're no, no it's, it's, yeah, that, that's just a, that a, a focal for, point, yeah. conversation piece. Yeah, that's, that's just for bath oils. You take liberty... And yep. you go to prosperity. Right. Now so, you're aging your rum. So, so raise your hand if, if, you, if you know what kind of like spirit world we live in right now. Everything's barrel aged. Everything's barrel aged. Yeah. Oh, I, I raised my hand. You didn't a, see that on the podcast. The chair recognizes <laughs> the host of Fermented, uh, Fermented Adventure. So it's, it's whiskey, right? And, and trying to get people off that, that, that whiskey pedestal right now is very difficult. Um, so rather than try and beat them, we join them, right? We, we wanted to we wanted to figure out a way of really introducing the contemporary consumer who says it's got to be brown, it's got to be whiskey, it's got to be bourbon, it's got to know what bourbon is, it's got to be bourbon. Like, how do you get them to experience rum and not be afraid of it, right? So we, we wanted to make we wanted to bridge those bourbon, those whiskey drinkers, over to rum, and we did that by taking you know this what I believe is an exceptional base distillate. Like if you were to drink if you were to drink whiskey that's about to become bourbon that's going in a barrel for It's just years, white dog. It's white dog. But you get to experience and you know what it's going to you get yeah. you get the starting point. But it's not it's not as palatable as say Liberty Rum. Okay? Um, this is a, this is a this is a product ready to drink. Now that, that You that, make an awesome point there. 
Because what you're producing in that bottle there, uh, as you said, you said it's ready to drink. Yeah. This is already an exceptional product on itself. Now we're going to make it better. Now you're going to throw gonna, it. Now we're going to kick it up a notch. Yeah. We're give it that, that emerald glossy touch at the end. Yeah. Bam. So we take the most expensive barrel we can buy, right? <laughs> much like the molasses that's used to make Liberty. We take a 25-gallon Kelvin Cooper's barrel from Kentucky, right? And, and this is a this is an uh, uh, unaged, so nobody new barrel, new barrel, nothing's ever been our white oak American barrel designed for making incredible bourbon, right? And it's a twenty five gallon barrel, so the cost of the same barrel, fifty three gallons, is less than a twenty five gallon barrel. So you have more than double the volume for less cost in a fifty three gallon white oak American barrel from Calvin Cooperage. But the 25-gallon affords much more exposure. You know, the, the, the volume to surface ratio is more than double in a 25-gallon barrel, right? So you're getting so much more oak interaction. Um, it, just, it produces a different product in a different time frame. So we take that same Liberty rum. The only difference is Liberty gets a light carbon filtration. It goes into barrel unfiltered, all right? Because you already have the char that's filtering it out anyway, right? And we're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna do a light yeah, the, the char's gonna add some filtration and we'll do a mechanical filtration on what goes into bottling. But we, we don't need to filter that out. You're absolutely right. Um, and it ages for anywhere from eighteen or so months, um, basically until it's ready, but minimum of eighteen, and that's prosperity rum. And, and prosperity rum is essentially for us and the way we take it to market, it's a bourbon drinker's rum. You know, we how do I enjoy it personally with a cigar in one hand and a glass in the other? That's how I really like to enjoy prosperity. But in reality, it lends itself to bourbon style mixology as well. I really, I really don't get excited about using this in mixology, but a prosperity old fashioned, out of this world, out of this world. Um, we've done some others. Manhattan, not so much. I don't think the oakiness and, and the, the, uh, the sweet vermouth really, really play well together but um, in, in other instances it does it does quite well but frankly it's, it's, a, it's a spirit that's meant to be enjoyed on its own it really is so how about we're gonna we're gonna try some of that too and I like the fact that you know you pointed out and it's it's not we, we talked to a whole bunch of people but the one thing I want to echo is what you mentioned the fact that yes bourbon itself is not necessarily the drink that's expected or what you're looking for until it comes out of the barrel. This oh, yeah. rum, you're all set and ready to go. Now you have just, as we said, kicked it up a notch. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just, we, I mean, we, 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 we've turned, we've created an aged spirit and we've created an aged rum. And this is not by any means a Caribbean style aged rum. It's not aged in used oak, it's aged in new oak. It's aged for a much shorter period of time, much more intensely in a 25-gallon barrel or a 25-gallon oak barrel. That said, we've also been experimenting with second use of that barrel, where we basically put another round of Liberty in a barrel that was just dumped because these barrels are—they're not expired. They haven't expired when um, we've—you know—we've dumped them to the bottle of Prosperity. There is a ton of oak, a ton of life left in them. And it's a more subtle oak experience at that point. A lot of those aggressive tans have already been imparted. You create a whole new product, even though it's using the barrel again. It's called Prosperity Distiller Select. 
Okay. And uh, we, we, it's not so, out yet. I, I know, I think you have a release party coming up on that too, don't you? Uh, well, we, for your members? That was, that was a, uh, that was last weekend actually. Um, and that was uh, a barrel that we actually laid down specifically for them. They all signed. <clears throat> but it's not the distiller select. It's not like truly aged in a used barrel. It's just really, really, um, it's a little more kind of nuanced in terms of the oak, but it's vastly more developed in terms of the flavors that emerge. It actually has almost a marshmallowy kind of like a note to it. Well, I get I, on the nose. I get plums. I get cherries. I get some vanilla that I would expect. A lot of um, the oakiness on yeah. there. Um, a little caramel or caramel, depending on which part yeah. of New Jersey you're from. Caramel, and that's the uh, that, that's you know a lot of the molasses, but also you know. And, and the honeysuckle, I, I have to say, the honeysuckle went away. <laughs> yeah, it got covered up by the And oak. so did the Sour Patch Kids. That's delicious. And there's no, there's, there's the, you get the, the dryness, the finish, and the oakiness yeah. to it. Yeah, that's right. You get, a, you get so much flavor on that first sip. And I do get marshmallow on here. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I do. But it's I don't uh, get, like, so I, I'll notice, like, a, a toasted marshmallow in a lot of times in that bourbon. But this is straight marshmallow. It's like a fluffernutter, not, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. that toasted marshmallow. Now, in the, uh, in the second use, at least you know, the, the barrel samples we've done, the marshmallow is really prominent. Um, almost to the point where we're like, all right, that's perfect. That's enough. We can stop. We can stop with that marshmallow now. Otherwise, we're going to have to change the name. The marshmallow rum. We should probably sell better than prosperity rum. <laughs> so that's the, that's the rum family. That's the rum line. And now, let me ask you a question, because yeah. that's your basis. You know, you come in and you have a, a, a distinct idea that rum is a, a product that you want to be forward on, right? Rum and then gin. Rum first and foremost and gin secondarily. But I get, my question is, so look, when you talk about the idea that everything is expected or do you have an aged product, um, is, there, is there a spice rum in the future for Little Water? And, and, and talk about that a little bit. You know, I, I don't know right now. I, I really don't. I mean, one of the things that, again, you know, just like I said I want our products to differentiate themselves in their, in their respective categories. You know, we as a business also have to kind of differentiate ourselves. We've got to figure out, like, do the trends in the market and in the industry work for us? And if so, why? And if not, why not? You know, and, and do we necessarily want to follow a trend or do we want to just kind of car, like chart our path and, 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 and follow it, you know, or chart our course and follow it? Um, so... What's very typical, very traditional in, in you know the craft brewing industry that the, the spirits industry has sort of fallen into? It's like every week you got to be released. You got to you got to be canning a new beer. You got to you got to like if this week it's a it's a peanut butter IPA. Tomorrow it's a peanut butter and jelly IPA. And then, you know you got to you, you can't like you have a flagship, but you don't want to waste too much time on that. You got to just keep innovating and keep making another one, another one, another one, another one. Never stop making new recipes of beer. And I, I don't know, like for us, I don't know how we could ever market that way. I don't know how we could put the investment into the brands themselves if we're just constantly launching new ones because it's not cheap. It doesn't happen coincidentally. Well, you have like, TTV, you have labels, you have bottles, oh, you, you, you have materials. You've got that overhead, right? You've right. got that overhead. But like, I, you've got space on a shelf, right? Right. If, if we're if we're if we're pouring out of a tasting room tap and all we're doing is that, then. Sure, but that's not our model. You know, our, our model, you know, has to live in the off-premise market, 
and in the off-premise market, but the off-premise market being the liquor stores in and around, which, you know, are the most efficient means to distribute to, um, they have to exist and survive and thrive there. And you can't be, like, fighting for a, a new spot on a crowded shelf every week, every month, every two months. You've got you've to gotta build momentum with what's there. Otherwise, you don't have any leverage to get additional placements. You know, it, it's not the way the spirits industry works right now for us, and it's not a model I want to get too sucked into because it's very easy in any new business, and Lord knows I am victim to it, to lose focus. You know, ideas are thrown... I think there's a character trait about you that, <laughs> that you focus? excel at. No, 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 no. I, I, I really... Look, the interactions we've had, Mark, I, I, I think you seem to be um, very focused on where you're setting your sail and where you want to go and the idea of and I'm sure Eric plays a part in this too where you see yourself in the next two, three, four, five years and, and that's where you're going now if you you know like you said if you've had a couple barrels and you want to play around with what you have yeah. you could do that but I don't hear you saying you know what we're going to do an agave based syrup uh, an agave based spirit yeah I, yeah no. I, you know I mean although you have done some cool things right now and we'll talk a little bit about that but let's let's and as we talk about that, let's talk about your gin though until someone comes along and says we want to buy this brand from you yeah have a nice day we, we, we're, we're good there's a, new, a spot just opened up yeah we got more space now but for right now we've got five core brands right and that's five more than most companies would actually try and manage right uh, we'll get right onto the gin in a second because that is an important one but I, look at look at some of the brands that you're familiar with that you, you, you order almost instinctively and ask yourself how many other expressions let alone or how many other other lines let alone expressions do they have Crown Royal is a bad example because they, <laughs> well they, they have now gone to a different yeah, number they, they played the market Crown Royal right. yeah. but for, for eons it was Crown Royal and Crown Royal Maker's Mark pretty much Maker's Mark Tito's Vodka. Last time I checked, it's just Tito's Vodka, right? And they they invest a lot in those brands. They develop those brands. They, you know, they, they build market around those brands. But if you're trying to do that 10, 12, 16 different ways with one company, you're bound to lose that focus. So getting back to your earlier question, what gets me up in the morning <laughs> and excited about coming to work? It's, it's to remind myself not to lose your damn focus because I do it all the time. And so, like, like, going too far down another path, now that we've, we've put our, our five core brands in place, yields us an opportunity to really develop them now. Let's talk about gin. Yeah, let's talk. You know, and we haven't had your gin yet. Then you're because not living right, you, are you? What's that? You're not living right then, are you? No, I guess we're not. Um, I, I can say, I think that when we first came by the first time, you were still working out the process of, of doing your gin. You hadn't... It's you very hadn't, likely. It's yeah, very you, likely. Hadn't, you hadn't had that up so and running. again, and here, here's... Here's again, yeah, the the, the, um, the danger of distraction. We we planned on making Liberty and Prosperity, and then launching a gin line. You know, we ended up getting distracted before we even opened by uh, a distillery that we went to visit because they were the only ones in the East Coast that were using our equipment. It was the only place we could actually test drive our equipment. Which was that? It's called Davis Valley Distillery okay. in Davis Valley, Virginia. They're just north of the border with North Carolina. Beautiful, beautiful distillery deep in the Appalachians, wonderful people, like really like hustling, hardworking owners and employees, just 
we, we, we hit it off with them like within 30 seconds like the romance blossomed like it's never blossomed before <laughs> between us and that it was, it was really cute and they, they're the ones that talked us into doing a whiskey collaboration with them so we'd have a whiskey on the day we opened which is the white cat which is white cat I'm like yeah. no we're not doing that we're not doing that um, and finally after like you know 10 no's and 11 asks we said yes and of course, White Cap is what put us on the map, and frankly, what what kept us in business. Because when we launched that, we were on fumes. We we basically drawn down our loan. We we built out our business, and we had nothing left in the kitty to keep things moving. And that 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 seventeen hundred bottles of White Cap sold in four weeks allowed us to continue. All right, let me do this with you. Yeah. Because I'm thinking to myself, what's a white cap? It's that top of the wave, right? Right. That you see in the distance. Yeah. So, so you know the wave is coming, right? So let's get back to the Davis Valley. We, we, we roll in there um, in February. All right. Beautiful distillery, freezing cold, with this backdrop of the Appalachians behind it, and just covered in these beautiful white cap mountains. And again, this is like months before we even said we would, we would do this with them. Months before and after, like, you know, we finally said, yeah, we're going to do this one. Now we got to figure out what this is. What is this thing that we're making? What's it called? It's not being distilled in our distillery. It's, it's not, you know, directly from our hands. It wasn't something we were aspired to do. But we're producing it there. We're bringing it up here. We're aging it here, you know, in, in a coastal climate completely foreign from where this product was distilled. Completely foreign. Um, you know, the variable temperatures and humidistatic pressure uh, just... Yeah, the, the, the salt in the air, everything that influences the aging process in a barrel is completely unique here to where, you know, the spirit originated in, in Davis Valley, Virginia. And, you know, like, how, how do we honor the origins and how do we be very transparent about, you know, this product? Because the last thing we ever want to do is peddle snake oil. We don't want anyone to think that we're, we're, we're presenting something that isn't what it is. So we, we took a lot of time on the back to describe the history of this product, who it is, honor you know the, the Davis Valley for, for you know their contribution to it. I mean, right away you say, hey, from the snow-covered mountains in yeah. Appalachia. So right. you're you're telling where yeah. where the where and, the uh, juices originated. And we were like to the white cap shores of Atlantic City, and we just we were looking at images, trying to get some. We were just see this people back there. Like, it's white cap, white cap, white cap mountains of the Appalachians, so the, the white cap shores of Atlantic City. That's what it is. And and that's maybe how it's right. Maybe it's wrong, but, but that's the brand, and, and uh, it's 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 done well, and it continues to develop in, in very unique ways. And you know, we continue to kind of build upon that brand, um, and we'll 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 develop it further going forward as we mature as a company. Whitecap was always designed to be an evolving product. The core is always sixty percent corn, twenty wheat, twenty rye, but the aging of it. The, the the maturation in the barrel and the, you know the, the ratio of wheat to rye always stays the same, but the length or the, the duration that the wheat rye ages in the twenty five gallon barrels versus the duration that the corn ages in the fifty three gallon barrels is always. Alright, so this is a blended whiskey. Because alright, so it's not it's not like everything's getting distilled together and going in the barrel yep. together. You're doing this separately. Distilled separately, aged separately, blended right before bottling. Um, so that you kind of maintain those, those those different nuances, those different kind of, you know, the barrel development is, is intact and separate. And then, it, then it's, you know, 
it, it's, it's blended, and you, know, you have that melange of different flavors and different kind of like styles, and that's white cap. But again, it, it's always a variable product. We want people to kind of get excited about batch 19 versus batch 18, batch 20. Like, is there a storied batch? Batch 7 was probably it. <laughs> batch 7 was when this product really, really be, kind of came into its own. And from that point forward, we, we knew that, okay, well, at a minimum, this is the, this is the amount of aging required. Yeah, this is this is the, the minimum duration of, of time and barrel before white cap can be white cap, and now we're going to play with that a little bit further. We'll, we'll, so it's it's ninety percent constant. And there's a ten percent variability to it that that makes each batch over each batch a little. You know, Which again, that's what craft is. I mean, you're yep. going to have this 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 range of consistency, yep. but depending on the season, it, depending right. on the barrel, depending on the stave, depending think, on think whatever. Of it like this. It's, it's, it's never going to let you down. But from batch to batch, it may add a few different sentences to the discussion. You know, it may change a little bit of the discussion, but the discussion is always going to be like, "That was a great, <laughs> that was a great whiskey, and it made a great cocktail." So that's really like kind of the purpose. That's what this workhorse is, white, white cap. So that was the first distraction. Right. The second major distraction came when we were planning our gin, and we knew that we wanted to work from a French wheat. Okay, a French wheat distillate. We've been influenced by a gin, which is a really, really like, incredible gin in Washington, D.C., called Green Hat. It was one of the first distilleries that uh, Eric and I traveled Yeah, we're to. big fans of Green Hat. Yeah, it's great, a great, great distillery. People, great product. And, and, you know, they, 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 uh, they were acquired. Yes, they were. Recently, which is, you know, a, a testament to, to the hard work and quality they put into that product. Um, and, and, you know, the belief that... They, they created value beyond, um, you know, their, their, their short, like, you know, or their small four walls and, and the block around it, you know, which they operate. So we love that French wheat style. We love that creaminess. And um, we, uh, we, we sourced a French wheat distillate from the Netherlands. And it just, it was it. It, 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 it worked for us. It, it had all the qualities. Basically, that, that and I like to describe it to people for the first time is like the difference between having like making a sandwich with like a loaf of bread you got from the grocery store and like an artisan hard baked bread. You know that bread makes all the difference. It, it almost eclipses the quality of the, of the meat or filler inside. Sometimes if that bread, which is your first impression, and and, and, and the the thing that supports everything inside. Well, Mark, we're a stone's throw from White House. Yeah. Right. Well known in Atlantic City. Yeah. But what do people rave about? Yeah. White House. Frank Fenica's bread. It's the bread. Yep. Right. Yep. That's and what they. So it's it's exactly what you're talking about. It, 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 you know, it, it's it's the first impression when you bite into that sandwich, um, and, and it allows it allows you know other ingredients to kind of hold up to it. And so we wanted to have that kind of that that, that heart baked bread upon which to layer various botanical flavors and nuances, and. It was a, it was a, it was a, just a damn good distillate. And, <laughs> okay. You know, we're we're now in the summer of 2017, and we we we, we realize it's becoming apparent to us that we're in a vodka town, and that's all anyone in Atlantic City. You don't mind French in this podcast, right? French? Yeah. Which which French we're using? It, it, it's it, it's it's all anyone gives a shit about. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right? okay. So we're like, all right. We're not going to fight them just yet. We're going to join them. And, you know, I'm at a, a, a fundraiser for the, um, an arts-oriented fundraiser 
um, at the Arts Garage in Atlantic City, and this really, really great mixologist and artist, his name's John Baker, he, uh, he runs the, the, the back bar at Stephen Cookies, which is you know, one of the most exceptional restaurants on the East Coast, and unfortunately located right here in Margate. And he's like, you know, there's all these vodkas. Everyone's doing like a mineral finished vodka. He's like, I want to see someone do, a, do an oyster shell finished vodka. And we're like, we're going to try that. So we took you that You did idea. have that for a while, right? We, 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 that's 48 blocks. Yeah, I mean. 48 blocks is amazing. But I remember you talking about that. Yeah. It took you for, for a while. That, that's, that's it. That's when, it. when I meant for a while, that, that that was something that you talked about doing. Yeah. And then the oyster finish was something that came to fruition. Right. So, yeah. so we, we, we sourced some Cape May salts and we did some kind of R&D with it. And, you know, the, 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 the cracked oyster shells impart just enough calcium and yeah. minerality. To give it a little bit of this again, unique, a little bit of smoothness, and yeah. you had to play around with that a little bit yeah. and get it just right. Yeah, and uh, so so forty eight blocks is exactly that. Forty eight blocks is a, a French wheat distillate finished over oyster shells, zero filtration. It doesn't need any filtration. There's nothing other than goodness that you'd be removing from it. It has so much character and body, um, and you know, that 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 slight minerality that comes from the oyster shells. Makes it just such an exceptional, exceptional vodka that just drinks beautifully on its own. It's just an up martini, or or even you know it, that, that French wheat is offers a little bit of creamy sweetness. So in a dirty, a dirty martini, which is one one of the ones we serve here because we can't serve a traditional martini. We don't make vermouth, right? Or distillery. That's a wine. Um, we can only serve products that we make here, or alcoholic products that we make here. So we, we, we use an olive brine to make a dirty martini that, that's garnished with pickled jalapenos that we grow in the garden and pickle here. And that, that sweet, sour contrast just makes such a delicious kind of like cocktail experience. And it, just, it, it, it creates such a like a... You're salivating thinking about this right I now. I am, I am. <laughs> because like, the dimensions that that cocktail takes on because of the, the viscosity of the vodka are, are, are really, you know, they're unparalleled. And um, that's 48 blocks vodka. Um, why don't we try a sip? Because that's going to inform our, our gin experience. Good, because you're using the same distillate. That's correct. Right? And this is the progression, this right? distillate was sourced for our gin program. And we got distracted by this vodka town that we live in. Yeah, some guy at Stephen Cookies. John Baker. <laughs> there you go. Threw us off the, threw us off the trail. See, again, I mean, you can call this a vodka. I mean, you can say it's that, that whole, hey, odorless, tasteless stuff. But even on the nose, I, I, there's... Oh, yeah. So this is, this in the, in the classic TTB sense of vodka, this isn't, this isn't a great vodka. It's got way too much character and flavor. It's not, it's not odorless. It's not devoid of character. It's very reminiscent of where it came from, which is a French wheat. Um, it just has some some real kind of like... Just some, some delicious base. It's got some vanilliness to it. Yeah. To it, um, but I, I want to say that there's like this salty, misty, oceany character to it. Does that make sense at all? Or I think it very well does, and I think this is the perfect day to sense that because it's a, it's humid. It's a salty, humid day yeah. in the cellar with the doors wide open. But you know what? This is where we make it. This is where we drink it. But right. if that's what you find, that's what you find. And I'll bet you you'll probably find that when you take it at home, when you drink it at home, too, because that nasal nostalgia, it's real. You know, where you experience a spirit or a product like this for the first time, 
often carries with it just carries through for you. It's hugely smooth. It, it again, it's there's not there's no there's not a bitiness to it. It lingers as far as the flavor, yeah. and I think that 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 uh, if you want to say with the brininess of the sea, that kind of lingers on yeah. the palate. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that you know again that's a little bit from the Worcester sauce. All right, so the progression goes to gin. All right, so now we get back on track, right? We we we're, we we get our heads wrapped around this again, and we're like, all right, we we, we started to make gin, and so now we made vodka. So let's start figuring out what the botanical mix is going to be. And we went through, I think, uh, James, 23 iterations of, uh, of, of gin. Yeah, it's going to be 20 test batches. 20, 23 test batches. We'll say 23. Yeah. At least. 23, 23 documented. <laughs> all right. Test batches. Um, to try and get the right botanical blend. And, and this was all, like, I was pretty busy at that time. So I only had, like, one or two, one or two requirements, and that was, um, you know, we had to use as many indigenous botanicals as made sense. Okay. Um, one of those had to be pitch pine, which fortunately James had grown in his backyard, and the other was. Um, now, what about what, what what about pitch pine makes that unique, or why is that something you say that? Is? Pitch pine is a strain of pine that just thrives in the pine barrens. Okay. Uh, in, in this part of, uh, of New Jersey. It's everywhere. You know, it's this big, chunky, like square bark, you know, looking pine trees that you see when you, when you hike through any any uh, wilderness areas or any preserve areas. You know, basically from here north and one further south to Ocean View, wherever the pine barrens run, you'll find pitch pine and ticks. Okay. And um, no we, ticks in the gin, but pitch pine. We're not giving away all our trade secrets <laughs> on this podcast, all right? So you may think you can get out of me, but you can't get it all out of me. <laughs> so you, you you decide on the pine, and then what about the other botanicals? So made black aronia is um, it's a native current that thrives in, in many coastal areas, not just here, but it does thrive here. So um, like the beach plum, like uh, black aronia grows. You know, um, it's cultivated. I don't know if it really goes wild anymore, but there's a farm in Ocean View that grows beach plum and black aroni. It's called uh, Jalma Farms. And they, you know, were able to supply us the, the black aroni. It gives a really earthy, kind of like native current flavor. Um, so that was the second one. And the other 14 were pretty much at James's discretion. And, you know, he worked tirelessly through batch after batch after batch, different concentrations. And Again, when you talk about when you talk about efficiency of production, it is heartbreaking to see how much expensive botanical goes into the production of this gin, and how much like uh, how much flavor produces, and how much of that that first flavor, those first oils we take off, and how much is left. You know, there's so much life left in those botanicals, but you know, the process stops. Right when you kind of, right when, when you start to come down from that that apex, you know. So there's plenty left at the bottom. There's nothing wrong with it, but we, we really kind of like pull the, the the brightest oils, if you will, out of those botanicals. Um, well, that's why they call it the hearts. Well, so the hearts are the distillate itself. This is really like kind of the oils and, and the, basically the, the color, the flavor, the life in those botanicals. In like 
It's like making a, a cup of tea, right? That tea bag steeps for, what is it, three minutes? Seven minutes? I don't know. I don't make too much tea. I should make more. But you can take that tea bag and throw it back in a, a, a cup of a freshly boiled water, and it'll make a tea, but it won't be as good as the first cup of tea. Understood. Right? So that, <laughs> but like, if, if you wanted to do something with that tea bag, like drop it on your eyes and, and get the swelling out, it'd do fine. Or, or many other things, right? So I digress a little bit, but we're, we're blessed to have what is poised to be one of the, one of the top breweries in, in the state, if not the country, of the East Coast. And it's just the two most talented uh, brewers you ever want to meet are opening on the other side of this wall. Um, Sean and Amanda um, are opening the seed, and it's a farmhouse Saison-style brewery. And probably by the next time we, we distill Rusted Revolver Gin, they'll be able to, to basically um, retrieve those botanicals and use them in a brew and, and essentially create a collaboration beer. That sounds exciting. That sounds like over the top. It's a hell of a lot more exciting than dumping them out in the backyard. That's for sure. Yeah. And, it's, and we, we, we've had the opportunity. We've done it with a couple other breweries. But just the logistics, you know, it seems real simple, but it's not. You know, you got to time, like, the brew with our distillation. And we're not, we're not changing our, our, our schedule based on someone else's brew schedule. And then you've got to try and, like, you know, kind of retrieve those botanicals in a clean manner and, and keep them either refrigerated so they don't dull or spoil and get it. But having this brewery next door, right next door, we got this for you. It'll be steaming when it goes into into the fermentation bag. All right, that's the buildup. That's the mark. So the gin. Yeah, I mean now now it's like now it's like I just want to like. So we know it's sixteen different botanicals. We know it comes from a French wheat base, or a French wheat base is used to produce it. Um, The brand was a real fun one because Rusted Revolver uh, was one of the last decisions we made on this product. Yeah, we went through a number of different like iterations, and of all the brands, of all the labels we had to fight through the TTB with, I was pretty certain that a, a Russian revolver with a picture of a gun on the front was not going to be the easy one. We actually got it through pretty quickly, and because it, it, it was rusted, you couldn't use it. You couldn't use it exactly. <laughs> it was no longer it was no longer operable. Um, and when we were building out the distillery, I'll digress a little bit, but this was important. Uh, there's a guy that had been digging for prohibitionary glass, like just, you know, bottles. Yeah, you have some yard. around here and some in the bathroom, they're, they're, too, right? They're in the restroom. Yeah. And one day, this, this annoying creature who did nothing but bring us dirty bottles all day long and expect us to get excited about it while we were trying to build out a distillery, walks in with this, this handful of what looks like a fossilized turd. And now he tries to hand that to us. And, you know, of course, my, my, my initial reaction was like, him again. And then the second reaction after he explained to us what it was was like, this is the coolest thing ever, anyone's ever walked up to me and just you know, gifted us. And it was a, it was a, a revolver, a, almost a fossilized revolver. It turns out we believe to be an 1875 38 caliber snub nose revolver by Hopkins Allens. And, you know, I was hell bent on using that in the brand. And we hadn't done it in the first four, and we're getting to our final one, our fifth one. And that, that was the fit, Rusted Revolver. And the notion, much like the botanicals, you know, that came from the ground around us, is that this gun did too. This gun is part of, like, the earth and the history of, 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 of this area. And we wanted the botanical blend, the botanical mix, the botanical bill, I guess you'd call it, to also be kind of part of, of the history and, and the earth, you know, just something very indigenous to this area. And... You know, I worked with an artist and vendor named Kelly Carver, super talented, and she illustrated five of the key botanicals 
enveloping that. Well, I see the pine, and I guess... Right, so we've got pitch pine, we've got juniper berry, which is actually present in all gin. Uh, We've got chamomile flower, which is very, very present on the nose. That that may not be native to Atlantic City, but we grow it in the garden here. Um, And then black aronia and coriander seed, which we also grow. So I, I love that you like you're growing stuff here at the distillery. You're sourcing your own. You're you're, you're sourcing your own ingredients. I, I I just think that again that that fits with the desire to create a very unique product that you're setting out to do. And you know, and we do it because we can. It's like I'm really I'm really we're really fortunate in that we have you know property that has a lot of uh, you know a lot of kind of growable space. You know, we've got a side lot which is bigger than the distillery itself, and. Um, and we're, we're actually really blessed to have people that dig what we're doing and want to contribute to it. So there's a, there's a woman who's the mother of a friend of mine who happens to now be my neighbor. And she's a master gardener, and she used to be a gardener in Gardner's Basin right around the corner. And they they retired their gardening program there, and she just threw herself into this. And she comes in this garden with such zeal and, and just such energy, and almost to the point where we can't take it all in. <laughs> like, we, like she, like If it were up to her, we would have like, 300 different cocktails made with 300 different... Oh, yeah, you'd be all day, right? And, and all we would do is run like a really, really intricate bar here. <laughs> so we, we had to dial it back, but... Um. So I've, I've noticed this, I've noticed this while, you're, while you're talking about your, your gardening. No, that's fine. Yeah. But I can share with you, each, each nose on this changes. Yeah. It's not the same one, but I feel like I just walked into a... a, a I feel like I just walked into a bake shop. I, I literally feel like I just walked into a bake shop where they're just baking all different things all day, and I get so many different opportunities to try different things. They, they really layers nicely. Um, to someone with a much stronger palate than my own, you, you can almost sort of start to count them off, like one after the other, like as they kind of emerge. But the, the layering of this is really... But even the juniper, which is, you know, obviously the predominant item there to be gin... Uh, he's, he's, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, all right, go ahead, go ahead. Gonna, that's why we're, we're that's why we do this. The, the presenter here. That's why we're doing this. It is intentionally not predominant in this gin, and it is only it's only there in trace amounts. This gin, so gin has to include juniper, but it does not have to be juniper dominant. London Dry style gin certainly is, but gin, as defined by the TTB and as approved by the TTB in America, does not have to be juniper dominant. It just has to contain juniper. So we do have trace amounts of juniper. The intention was never to have juniper kind of carry this product, carry this, this flavor profile. That said, juniper is a conifer, right? So is pitch pine. A lot of that, that juniper-esque aroma or essence that you're getting comes from both the juniper and the pitch pine. So that's where there's pine. Okay, so they kind of work together to create, yeah, that, create that, that space where so you want what, to be in. That, like, it's crazy to me. It's really crazy. But, you know... I'm learning a lot about kind of consumer preference and frankly consumer history as like as we grow this and like when, when someone doesn't like a gin, it's for it's for one of two reasons, right? First and foremost, they were 18. Oh, it's it's the same story. They raided Dad's right. liquor cabinet. They went on a bender and they'll never drink another drop of gin again. Or second, it tastes like a Christmas tree. I can't control anyone's bad behavior when they were 18. You know, and I, don't, I don't want to pay no, for their you sins. No, but co- you can correct it now. I, correct it, right? <laughs> I, I tell them flat out, I'm like, I'm not paying for your sins as a child. That's not what I'm doing. But you're trying this goddamn gin. This is <laughs> the, the chamomile's there. You're trying the gin. It's, it's very floral. Yeah. 
it's it's very subtle and and even as you do the nose you get some different properties you get some different experiences the same thing is when you sip it okay. there's some there's so many different things that come out of this now that we try all five we're going to go back to you know, a little bit of the brand ethos and that is maybe ethos is the correct word but we didn't try white cap we'll, do, we'll wrap up with white cap we'll make white cap our nightcap shall we yeah this is now becoming you heard uh, that right uh, uh, put that in quotes yes it's gonna be the tagline white cap or nightcap so that's on the shirt that's right it's on the shirt this this is a gin that strives to differentiate itself in the gin category, right? It's a very botanical gin, but it doesn't it doesn't jump out as gin at first impression. It's something, but it, you know, it's not what people expect in a gin when they have gin. I would say this. I, I would say that that's exactly what I experienced. Yeah. So it's gin for people. So it's a gateway gin, or it's gin for people that don't like gin, but it's also gin for people that like to explore gin. So if you if you say I had that 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 eighteen year old like Bender experience like raided right my dad's liquor cabinet and you'll never drink gin again. You probably have an opportunity to actually enjoy this. If, if you don't like drinking a Christmas tree, this it's not gonna, what your experience this is. Isn't be. Gonna, this isn't going to be a problem for you. Now, if you if you if you're you're a, a gin purist and you cut your teeth on a London dry style gin and you look forward to and you expect that very juniper forward experience. This may not be your gin, but I think I could probably open your eyes to, to some things in it that that, that that you might find appealing if you are that person. Well, this is but, to, to but me. You're still going to have your classic. You're, you're st- it's not going to replace your Tangerite. It's not going to replace your your London dry style gins. It's just going to add to your portfolio. Look, I, to me, this is a different experience. This is why you're doing craft because you don't have to stay within that parameter. You don't st- have to say within a structure. And if somebody's looking for a more, I, I, I think this is why you why you talk about this being like a gateway or an introduction gin. I think this is this is there's a lot of sophistication to this that you really get to experience. Th- th- this is delicious. No, I, I appreciate this is that. really nice. And I would agree. It's also a sippable gin, and we, we kept the proof lower than you might find in some wet and dry styles for sure, so that it is a sippable gin, and it's eighty proof. Where gin is can you know range anywhere from like eighty on up to like ninety five, ninety eight. But it, you know it, it, it lends itself to mixology wonderfully. We do some really spectacular cocktails with it, especially when you add a little bit of citrus, a little bit of lemon. That's what I was gonna say. I feel like lemon. Oh, there's, there's orange peel. There's some lemon peel. Um, it really like it explodes those citrus notes. It's funny because Dawn and I we started with our first gin distillery. That's where the fermented adventure started at a, a gin distillery. Which one, if you remember? That was uh, Palmer's Liberty oh, Gin okay. yeah. in Nanyunk, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, you know, we had the conversation going up the hill. I hate gin. I don't want a gin. Why, why are we drinking gin? That's gin. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, now Dawn's become more of the gin. She yeah. loves gin. She loves drinking different kinds of gin. And Yeah, but this, oh, yeah. Is, but this is the thing. This is what happens. You talk about that 18-year experience. And step away from that 18-year experience and go to some of these craft distillers. Come to Little Water and, and try a whole new gin experience. Or, or purchase it anywhere it's sold That's true. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Anywhere thank it's you. sold around the state. I literally just sit this by itself. It doesn't need to be Yeah, no, it, it's, 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 I'm saying, it, like, it, it's a very sippable gin, but it also lends itself to, to, to cocktails that that don't overpower like we do. I'll tell you that the most popular cocktail that we developed with this was called the uh, Chicken Fitzpatrick. It was named after an adopted dog of a friend of ours named Chicken. The last name was Fitzpatrick, and it was 
basically this with a rosemary simple syrup and a lemon garnish. Uh, I'm sorry, rosemary spray and lemon garnish. It's just that the rosemary simple syrup added yet a 17th botanical note to it, but the lemon just really, and the sweetness just brings it to life and just allows those, those some of those hidden flavors, those hidden like kind of you know, experiences to explode. And it just drinks so, so like kind of wonderfully. Real quick, it just triggered a memory for me. Palmer's Liberty Gin. Anything coincidental about the fact that we have, we have two bottles of two out al- Name another alcohol that has that same, the same name. Like imagine if someone else did a, a Tito's Vermouth and it wasn't Tito's. Absurd, right? Right. So, well, Liberty's important. Liberty's important to their story and Liberty's important to your story. But, but it, it couldn't happen, right? Like, because of the proprietary trademark, all that stuff, trademark and everything else, Liberty is an untrademarkable name for the spirit. Fascinating, and it goes back to um, well, one because the U.S. is a signatory to the WTO, and they're, they're you know you, you do a worldwide search for trademarks, and there are wine in, in France and another one in Italy that, that have their you know Libertas and. But you know, in, in you know those, those respective languages, Liberty is used in a product name. But because Anchor Steams, Liberty American Pale Ale, and trademark Liberty, you can't trademark the word Liberty in any alcohol at this point. That's why Palmer's Liberty Gin and, and Little Larger Silly's Liberty Rum can exist because they're not trademarked. That's fascinating. I said this is this is why we do this. On the adventure, we learn so much. Yeah. Look, you've been gracious with your time. I know you have a lot of stuff that you want to get done, but let's do a little night. Let's do a little bit of white cap. I want to say, so now you got me on night cap. Let's do a little bit of white cap. Talk about, look right now. And you made a good point because of COVID you're not able to do your cocktail program. You're not doing as much of it. Um, you want people to purchase your spirits or, you know, where, where, where they can get them. Of course they do. But of course you do. Um, so, so talk about where, where people can find you and, and, and where they should be shopping for, for little water distillery products. So, you know, um, we, we continue to kind of build accounts throughout the state, and you know, we've just signed a distributor for New York and Connecticut, so we'll continue to build market share there. We we are in a number of different buy rights and canals. Every total wine in the state. Um, so if you if you're in New Jersey, buy right and canals are liquor stores within New Jersey. Within New Jersey, and yeah. now you have distri- distribution in Connecticut, New York. Just launching that. It'll be available later on this fall. That's exciting. Um, now. You can also find it, you can purchase it online at Whitehorse Wine and Spirits or Passion Vines or Total Wine and More. They they have, those three those three stores have, real, or those three companies have really good, like, strong fulfillment operations where you just order the product online and it'll ship out. Every, like, I always encourage people to kind of, you know, shop all three to see which has a better. Now, is this outside the state of New Jersey or just inside the anywhere, state? Anywhere, anywhere, any states that have a reciprocal relationship with New Jersey. Okay. Except so, for those that are listening to the podcast right now, yeah. they can get your Liberty Rum. They can get yep. all these items that we talk about to try them, to sip them, to 100%. enjoy, so they can get the same experience that we're having. If you go on our website, littlewaterdistillery.com, and you search who's shipping us, it'll list the stores that you can just link to. And go right to their you know, their online store, and you can you can purchase it that way and have it shipped. So you know, again, the, the, the business model is always to try as we're trying Whitecap, is always to try and and be not a supplier but a partner to the people that are selling our products, whether it's a bar or a restaurant or a liquor store. And you know, we want in a perfect world to leverage 
sort of the following and the presence that we're trying to build organically to those companies. You know, if people are walking in and asking for our products by name or ordering online, it shows them that we're trying to bring business to them. If we're trying to sell everything out of our distillery and kind of keep all that revenue in, in, in house and still expect them to support us, we're probably going to lose that battle. So first and foremost, you know, we, we want to make ourselves available everywhere easily. And we want to try and celebrate those companies that are helping us grow by carrying and selling our products. And it's very, very important that we promote them more than we promote ourselves. And we'll continue to do that. And hopefully that, that you know, that, that'll resonate. Well, I think, I think that's a good sense of, of, of your business model. And I think as you are a fixture here in Atlantic City, if you help Atlantic City grow and you help resurrect Atlantic City and you're a part of that, that that's just your philosophy, right? And you, you don't see yourself as, as we talk about, look, Absecon and that little island, right? You don't see yourself as an island. You see yourself as, as the builder of, of community here. So Atlantic City is a very, very kind of territorial area. It's, it's had to be. Um, you know, the, the, the casino industry forced early on, you know, um, kind of the, the hospitality community outside of casinos to really, really look out for themselves because they they, they believed in this promise that this industry was going to bring prosperity to all of them. And in fact, what happened was it, it, it drew people into town and locked them in and, and wouldn't even show them how to get out. Yep, you oh. come in on a bus, you go out on a bus. And, and, oh, and then it started giving away free food and drink. So, you know, a, a, a lot of, it, it sort of established a, a tradition of, of kind of protectivism and, and, and kind of isolationism and really trying to just do the same thing at the street level. And what are we? We're, we're, we're differentiated in, the, in that category of hospitality in Atlantic City. We're not a bar. We're not a restaurant. We're not a casino. We're not a liquor store. We're kind of a little bit of everything. But first and foremost, we're a producer of spirits that we want to see people enjoy no matter where they are, no matter where they go. And to do that, we have to be carried by as many bars and restaurants in town. And you can't achieve that level of support by just looking out for yourself. So we've got to differentiate ourselves in the city. We've got to be a partner that's trying to help grow other businesses so that they'll in turn support us. And it doesn't always happen that way. You know, it, it, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know. Which is a good outlook to have because it's easy to get it's, – it's easy to get – Oh, yeah like down about the way things are going, especially with COVID and everything going yeah. on. Cause you, you got this plan and then you, things change for you. If you. You can get disappointed. You can get down. But if you have that perception, like this is, this is where we're going. This is where we're heading. This is our plan. Those little distractions, as you talk about, don't keep you from getting there in the end. I'm starting to find I have more business mantras than I thought I did. But like we are, we are, we are essentially here eating an elephant, and we just took a couple nibbles on the tail. That's as far as we've got. We got so many bites to go yet to finish this elephant, and you know, um, we need to build a customer base, one customer at a time. Whether that customer is an individual like you guys or a bar, or a restaurant, or a casino, or a liquor store, or a chain of liquor stores, or an entire market. We've got to come, we've got, we, we know that every transaction is a transaction, an impression to be made, and we've got to just hammer away at each one. So, I I think this is delicious. I think this is, you know, the, the sips that I've had, and first of all, everything you make has a really nice nose. Something I can sit there and just 
keep nosing everything, which for me, it, it, that, that's part of the experience. But when you taste this, because of the blend that you do, this is a really great, unique whiskey. And the first thing I got was that floralness of of the spirit. And then yeah. you start to get that rye to, that comes in and the yeah. oakiness of the barrel. It, it, so this is always intended to be a corn-forward spirit. Eventually, we'll transition this to a Jersey corn. And by eventually, possibly within the year. But again, transitioning that part of the process within the year means you won't be able to experience it for two plus. Right? I'm patient. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm eating the same elephant. I'm okay. <laughs> he's, he's chopping on the tail along with me. Right. I mean, so, I, I don't have to wait four. I can wait two. I'm yeah. getting half the, this half the time. <laughs> exactly. So I'm good. So um, like this was always intended to be, you know, certainly simple, but really find a place in mixology. You know, like I never did, but I love, and I think everyone here loves the notion of just creating like great cocktails with the products we produce. And Whitecap is, is really the center of that. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a very mixable, very kind of like unique whiskey in that it's corn forward. It doesn't have a cloying sweetness, but it's got a certain kind of corn burby sweetness to it. It's got a little bit of that spice from the rye, but it's also got some creaminess from the wheat on the end. Um, actually, I take that back. I think the creaminess is more in the middle and the spice comes at the end of the rye. But um, it, it, it does some like really interesting things in, in mixology. Sometimes it just takes a backseat and it provides that, that whiskey backbone. And sometimes it just really emerges as something else you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't replicate with another spirit. The old-fashioned that we make with this. Well, you do a smoky old-fashioned, too. And then you, you, do the old fa- you take the rosemary sprigs we do, and yeah. you smoke the rosemary sprigs with this. We, we do many different uh, old-fashions at tasting bar, but by far the, the, the most popular is just our barrel-aged old-fashioned. We would basically pre-batch the old-fashioned, age it in one of these barrels, and it became... Just, you know, like the go-to cocktail for people that would kind of come on a regular basis and visit with us. And to the point where we're like, yeah, let's take a stab at this. We, we started doing it in 25-gallon batches and then bottling it. And we got a label approved after like an ungodly amount of time, I think 18 months. And we now have a, a pre-batch barrel-aged old-fashioned that we just took to market about six months ago. And, and lo and behold, what is... What is just surging in this COVID market right now? But pre-batched yep. RTDs, ready, to, ready drink. to drink. Yep. So this is available and ready to go. And is uh, we did a we did a, a online a virtual tasting with the Monmouth County Whiskey Society. They placed an order for sixty bottles of this. Better get moving. <laughs> <laughs> the following day, right? So yeah, load up the load up the truck and deliver. And. Um, we're now going to put together a gift pack for the holidays with it. And uh, it's really been a, it's been a wonderful one. And, and you know, we, we anticipated some of it. We didn't anticipate enough of it. So now we're laying it down like there's no tomorrow because the holiday season is, is going to be upon us in a few months. And we need to be ready. And um, you know, we really think that this is probably one of the most, you know, the best expression of white cap in a cocktail and one of the most unique um uh, old fashions you're going to you're going to try and and something about and let me tell you a little bit about this this pre batch cocktail it, it's all done in house we not only you know make white cap but we also make our own simple syrups which is not that difficult again you know shit in shit out we use like a really 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 high quality demerara sugar which makes it um, almost a, a molasses based 
perceptibly sweet simple syrup, but is half as sweet as most simple syrups. So it's not it's not as it's not as sugar forward as some other old fashions might be. And then we make our own orange bitters and our own uh, aromatic bitters, and they all kind of contribute to the, the, the white cap old fashioned. So if you give me that glass of yours. This is a perfect way to finish with a white cap old fashioned. I know, isn't that great? And 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 the funny thing is, you don't necessarily. You, I don't you, like whiskey. I know you don't. You, you don't really gravitate towards that. That's actually fun. So the first thing I get is the, just the, the spiciness on this, the the the, the, the bitters, the the orange, the yeah. aromatics to that. All right, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Yes, sir. I just like the sound of ice coming out of ice. No, I, I, I love, no, 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 I love the, I love the ice sound of boom, ice going. Boom, 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 boom. So here's the deal. Yes, this sir. has been an amazing treat for Dawn and I, and this has exceeded my expectations of, of an opportunity to get to sit down and talk to you. And mine as well. Like Thank you so much. what I will tell you is, in what we talked about on the podcast earlier was that the experience, the memories, the brand. And the connection with Little Water Distillery. And I realize right now people are not going to have that same connection. But when they make the selection on that liquor store shelf or they go to your website, then they'll get the bottle and they'll, or bottles and they'll get a chance to experience the passion. James is, is what he's creating, you know, as far as your gin and your rums. Everything's first rate. And... It's 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 hard. You say everything's unique, right? That that's the key. There's a nuance and uniqueness to everything. Try and make it unique. But I'll tell you, Mark. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, your your rum is different. Your Liberty rum is different. Your Prosperity rum is different. Your White Cap whiskey is different. All this is different, and that's I think the reason why. If you're listening to the podcast, go out. And find a way if you can't get to Little Water right now. I mean, they've got you've got this great outside area. Yeah. You got your garden. People are missing out on that experience. And when you get next door with the brewery opening up, this is you got the the hatchet people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be this is going to be a little center for yes. where people are going to come to, and people are just going to have a good time. And you know, you may go to the beach in the morning, afternoon, and come here. Or there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, but it's a tribute to you and Eric and. It all started with that five gallon still, yep. and what you guys are doing is fantastic. Thank I'm blessed. So I'm grateful. This has been this has been a treat. It really has. I mean, this has been wonderful, and 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 really, I can't say enough of how much we appreciate you taking the time today to sit down with us and oh. and talk about what you're doing. Because our pleasure, our pleasure. This is this has been wonderful. And you know, it's crazy. Like he doesn't see this because he's looking at me, but I'm looking past him. You guys came in the rain, and you're gonna we're finishing up on a beautiful sunny day. It's so, a beautiful uh, sunny day. You know, fine spirits will do that. Let's hit the beach. Thanks. Mark, we look forward to all the new stuff and all the great stuff that keep coming out of Little Water. Thank you so much. Thank you.